10% of Angelinos don't have a connection to the internet. That's not right, that's not fair, and it's something we're gonna fix. We put $17 million in this budget to connect all communities to the internet. Well, it's very important because it's gonna be very helpful for my kids to do their homework. Uh, we don't have internet at home. We don't have hotspot, we have cable, we don't have anything, so this is gonna be very handy. In our opener there, we heard Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti, who we met recently, talking about the digital divide in Los Angeles. 10% of Angelinos still don't have access to the internet. In fact, in the United States, there still exists a stubborn digital divide that disproportionately impacts Americans from underserved communities. For example, one in three African Americans and Hispanics that's 14 million and 17 million people respectively, still don't have access to the internet or computer technology in their homes. If the pandemic has shone a light and amplified one societal issue, it is this one for sure. Now, the underlying theme of this podcast during the pandemic is how technology has been the saviour and has held society together. But it's quite clear that without access to this saviour, the detrimental impact to these underserved communities is enormous. So today's question is, how do we bridge this divide and who is responsible for doing so? Welcome to The Great Indoors, a podcast where we look at the lasting technological changes brought about by the pandemic and how technology can potentially help solve the other challenges facing humanity. I'm your host, Matt Roberts, and joining me is my co-pilot and producer, Larissa Yee. So today is our final special MWCLA episode. We are coming to you from Mobile World Congress Los Angeles and during that week we've had a recording studio on prominent display at the event and we've just had amazing conversations with some of the industry's leading figures. So this isn't just the final MWC episode, this is the final episode of season three and the final episode of 2021 and what a final episode it is. I am joined by Jeff Long from AT&T. Jeff is president of Broadband Access and Adoption Initiatives and is tasked with bridging the digital divide nationally for AT&T. We actually met Jeff a week after the show. He's based in Los Angeles. We also have Roy Chua, the founder and principal at leading analyst firm Avid Think. And we also met with Sandeep Panesar, who is the executive vice president of strategic engagement at Turnium. So I'd like to welcome you all to this season finale of The Great Indoors today. So I'd like to welcome our guest to The Great Indoors today, Jeff Long. Jeff, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excellent. Thank you for joining us. And, and where are you joining us from today, Jeff? Where, whereabouts I, are you in the world? I am actually in the LA area. So I am based out of the El Segundo campus uh, for AT&T. And I'm actually currently at my home in Rancho Palos Verdes, which is about 14 miles south of uh, El Segundo and LAX. All right. Now, we were there just uh, a couple of weeks ago for the uh, Mobile World Congress LA. And the weather and everything was fantastic. Uh, so it's a really nice place. So let's get into it. So, Jeff, for our listeners, could you give a, a sort of overview uh, of what your role is at AT&T and, and what you're currently looking at? Uh, my first 25 years, I was building a lot of the, the wireline network, uh, copper, uh, DSL, our U-verse platform, video, and then now fiber optic services for uh, high-speed internet uh, connections. 
Uh, Ten years ago, I also uh, took on responsibilities for the wireless side of, of, the, uh, of our business uh, when we folded Singular into the AT&T network, uh, started out building our 3G network, expanding that capability, you know, uh, launching 4G LTE, and then now also spearheading uh, and launching uh, 5G services, both uh, low band 5G and also high band millimeter wave. And, and now, as you guys know, AT&T is in the process of launching our mid-band services uh, with our uh, C-band spectrum. And so, uh, and I will also mention that we, we, uh, a critical uh, part of what we do in AT&T is also building out the first net network uh, for first responders. That's been a critical component of our strategy for the past couple of years. It allows us to uh, really provide a level of service that is uh that is second to none for our first responders and allow us to expand uh, both coverage and capacity throughout uh, throughout uh, the United States. And it's been a, a great uh, a great honor for us to have that responsibility to provide the support to first responders. So about five months ago, uh, I transitioned to a new role uh, from, uh, from building networks to now really interfacing with stakeholders to try to help close the digital divide. And so I'm leveraging my uh, experience building networks and working with uh, key government officials and, and other stakeholders in terms of understanding what it would take for us as a country to continue to address the, the ongoing issues that has been really amplified because of the pandemic associated with the digital divide. And when we in AT&T see this as a multi-pronged solution, right? So so we are absolutely, from a network provider perspective, we are absolutely committed to continue to expand uh, the availability of broadband, expand, expanding access. Uh, and fiber, we believe, is the primary solution uh, that we want to uh, deploy to close the digital divide. But we also recognize that there are areas of the country that you know fiber is not the right solution. And, and wireless uh, solution, whether it's fixed wireless, our mobile wireless needs to be part of the mix in terms of providing access to as many uh, people as we can uh, and to leverage the funds that are available, both private sector funds and, uh, and uh, public funds, uh, to, uh, to, to touch as many uh, people as, as possible. But in addition to that, we believe affordability and adoption is also a key component of closing the digital divide because there are actually more people out there that have access to internet, but are not uh, are not adopting whether it's an affordability issue, or whether it's a literacy issue, or whether it is uh, some other issue. I think there's more that we could do as an industry and as a country to help you know bring these people into the digital age and uh, and help with adoption. And to you, Jeff, I think that's really amazing. Do you see um, the digital divide, and you said it was amplified by the pandemic, do you see that as the biggest societal issue that came out of the last 18 months That, from a technology perspective? Yeah, I think it's, it's absolutely one of the biggest uh, um, issues that we need to address as a country. I think it's, it's not only is a, it's, it's an issue because um, it is uh, something that, Really, it touches every component of how we live, work, and play uh, uh, throughout the country, right? So you think about it from a learning perspective. Learning does not, cannot exist in this pandemic environment without digital connectivity. And the and what the pandemic did was not necessarily, 
created a problem, but really amplified a problem because the tr- because the transition of learning is now going into a digital path, right? We are not going back. At, you know, when I go out there and when I talk to local officials, both uh, educational officials and also elected uh, officials, uh, you know, either at the uh, city or the county or the state level, is that they understand that a school is no longer about providing a classroom and a book, a pencil and a paper, but they also need to to both provide digital connectivity and provide uh, digital services uh, to our kids because it's important for them to learn in this environment and it's important to be comfortable operating in this environment because that's the, that's the world that they will inherit from us uh, in the future. And and how is 5G helping, Jeff? And and not only that, give us your projection. When will the digital divide effectively be closed? Yeah, I think that's a tough question, right? Because I think uh, I think what you see is that the digital divide is closing, but it's not closing fast enough, right? And and also, I think the data associated with this is not good enough for us to say that you know definitively what percentage or, or, or the quantity of folks that are impacted by the digital divide. But we do know using FCC data that we have done a decent job closing the digital divide. Uh, five years ago, based on FCC data, uh, we show that 10% of the population did not have access to broadband services defined by 25.3. Uh, now today we are uh, we are less than five percent, so we've reduced that in half in terms of the the number of people that don't have twenty five three service. And so I think that's a great accomplishment, but that in itself is not sufficient, right? We need to do better to close the digital divide for that remaining five percent that's left. In addition to that, the bar keeps on getting raised, and that we want to strive to continue to provide higher speed services. Uh, uh, to to all uh, uh, to all people across the country, and so five G. How does five G play in that? I think there's a couple of ways that five G uh, play in this. Number one is that if you look at both four G and five G services now, we are on average. You look, you could you could look at you know use Ookla as an example of a speed. We are consistently providing on our mobile network whether both 4G or 5G speeds that are better than uh, uh, you know, 25 megabit per second, right? And so the wireless technology has evolved so quickly and the capability has advanced uh, so much that you could do a lot with the network that we have now, but we're not stopping there because of our rollout of both millimeter wave solutions in, in targeted areas and now our, uh, the beginning of our deployment of our C-band, mid-band solution we're going to be able to provide much, much greater speed uh, to a lot more people uh, from a connectivity perspective. And where that plays is that uh, is you, you, you kind of saw that through the pandemic is that mobile solution is the fastest way to get people connected, right? It, uh, uh, during the pandemic, we were able to go out there and hand out hotspots to many schools and allow them to get connectivity to students very, very quickly, uh, uh, you know, uh, because the need was there. But we believe also that the combination of our services of both uh, wireless and wireline is really actually the key 
to really having the right platform for both uh, uh, for learning and for other capability as well. To our vision of the future is to get fiber to as many uh, uh, homes as we can to ensure that they have very very robust services uh, where they live and, and where they uh, and at the classroom and where they work. And then also overlay that with 5G technology, including mid-band solutions to ensure that they have the ability to do uh, what they need to do also and everywhere in between, right? And I think some of the discussions that we've had with mayors of city is that they want their kids to be able to do virtual work uh, at home and at school. But, you know, if they're in a classroom, if they're at grandma's house, if they're at a park and if they need to do something there and have some type of connectivity, we want to make sure that they have that capability in those areas as well. No, it's great. It really is great, Jeff. We've spoken about the digital divide many times on this podcast, but what's really refreshing speaking to you, Jeff, is you're at the vanguard. You're at the front end of really rolling this out and and seeing demonstrable results. So apart from connectivity, what else can 5G, when we, you know, we, we talk about the use cases that 5G can bring, have you given any thoughts at specific use cases that could um, help the educational experiences, the example we've used here. Are there any other use cases beyond connectivity that excite you and you're thinking about? Yeah, I think, uh, I, I think we're actually working on, uh, you know, on some applications and some capabilities of what, uh, you know, of how learning really is, uh, is done, right? So connectivity is the foundation. So I think you cannot ignore connectivity because the connectivity is the foundation of what uh, is required to do all these applications. Uh, but we in AT&T believes that the foundation needs to be layered on with applications and with capabilities and with different uh, ways of actually learning, right? So, so you think about what the pandemic has created and in, in, in terms of changing people's mindset of what learning is about, right? Learning prior to this was believed to be everybody in the classroom with a teacher and, and students, right? I think what, it, what this pandemic did was really drive and change to say, you know what? A classroom can be virtual. A classroom can be a hybrid. It can be half virtual and, and half in the classroom. And then you think about also the ability to also to do one-on-one discussions, right? And so office hours, tutoring capabilities. You know, think of the fact now that you have the ability for somebody, for a teacher, to really create a great content. That many teachers have been creating those great content, but th- that content has been constrained to their immediate classroom. Now, with this type of capability, they create great content, both recorded content and live content, and share that with anybody that they want to share with uh, uh, across the across the country and across the world. Uh, I'll give you a really good example of this. Um, so my, my daughter uh, is taking AP chemistry this year. And uh, just by chance, my next door neighbor is a retired AP chemistry teacher. And so <laughs> very fortunate. And so so we talked to our neighbor about doing tutoring and he was uh, and he does a lot of tutoring to, uh, to students and kids around the neighborhood. But even though we live in California, we could reach out of our window and touch his house. His preference is to do tutoring over Zoom now that he's familiar with that platform. 
And the reason for that is, uh, is not just about COVID. The reason for that is with a Zoom platform, he's able to bring up documents. He's able to point to stuff. They're able to look at the screen. They're able to type on stuff together and, and, and talk about uh, uh, you, know, you know what type of molecule it is and, and what's the atomic weight and everything else associated with that. And he's able to actually record that session as well, too, and share that with other people that w- will be interested in, in hearing about it. Right. And so so you get to the point where you're doing these uh, digital solutions, not because you have to because of COVID, but because it's actually superior than a live one on one session sitting across the table. Not to say that you never have to do that. And so there are sessions where, where he comes in and making sure that there's understanding and they're looking eye to eye. But then there are many, many applications that they could do virtually. And we believe that with a 5G network that allows you to do these type of interactions and, and the other capability in terms of low latency, high speed, um, all those other uh, uh, capabilities that you could bolt on to edge compute solutions um, is something that we're very excited about as well, too. And we're looking at developing some edge compute capabilities that we could offer to schools uh, that uh, allows their platform to be a lot more efficient and a lot more secure uh, than what it is now. And I think it could be, I think that's a really interesting story, Jeff, that the preference to use these platforms and it could kickstart an educational revolution, right? When you bring in virtual reality headsets, when you bring in, like you said, edge compute, we met a great startup called Ikin that talked about holographic displays where students could really immerse themselves. So I think this is the, the start of a of, of potentially an educational revolution. I completely agree, and I think uh, I think what we believe in, just like when we rolled out, uh, you know, 4G LTE service, is that nobody could have foreseen, you know, all the industries and capabilities that came out with high-speed connectivity everywhere you you go. Right. The whole uh, we, uh, there's a lot of discussions about how Uber is part of this uh, you know, 4G LTE infra- uh, 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 capability. So the key for us in AT&T is actually building that foundation, building that access capability out there, building the edge compute capability out there, building out the platform and the foundation in place and letting others overlay the applications on the hop. And I think we will be very, very surprised on what type of industry comes out of this. And I think what really also helps this is that not only do uh, the timing of this cannot be better from the standpoint that we are rolling out this new architecture and this new platform from a 5G perspective at the very same time where everybody is forced to, into a digital environment. Right. So historically, what you have is you have the younger generation and the kids that are early adopters and that are willing to uh, embrace digital technology. But then you have the adults and the teachers or others that were hesitant about embracing these type of solution. But over this past 18 months, we were all forced into this environment. And I think what you find is that, you know, as people get through the initial barrier of, of understanding of a new platform, 
they see the benefit of this and the example of my daughter's uh, uh, and uh, my daughter and neighbor's uh, interaction is that once they understand and they get through the initial hurdle, they actually see the value and the benefit of it. And they actually believe that this is the better way to go. And so I think that the adoption piece of it, in addition to the fact that you have the platform and, and the foundation in place is critical to us now creating so much more applications in the 5G era. Yeah, I think it's it's fascinating. It really is fascinating. Now, when we when we look at the AT&T 5G network, and you mentioned the C-band um, element that you guys participated in the auction mm-hmm. earlier on this year, I and I've said this to almost every guest when we talk about 5G, 5G and the and the, the the race to 5G in the United States, the sort of battle that particularly the marketing battle, right, that 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 is going on is something quite fascinating. It's something we haven't seen for many years. And you know, there's lots of noise coming from various different organizations and camps. I love what you know you're talking about, Jeff, regarding addressing you know the digital divide at the heart of society. So how can ATT win what's the differentiator or the key points for at&t to come out of this 5g race ahead oh, the, the 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 key there is not the focus i think we as an industry have a tendency of looking internally right and l- talk about you know this is what we have this is what we're capable of providing and i think that's great right that's a starting point of where we need to go but that's not an ending point the, the key for us is being there uh, to support our customers in the way that they want to be supported, right? For them, is really about how do they consume the products and services that we uh, that we offer. What type of applications are they using the application for, and making sure that they have a seamless experience associated with that, right? And so, number one, you know, as we transition to five G. We are making sure that we have a solid foundation of 4G services uh, uh, that's underlying that, right? That is, you know, the transition from 4G to 5G is not just about removing one network and putting a new network. It's really like every other transition is an overlay of a next generation network onto an existing 4G network. And we have a very, very robust 4G network. So as we transition into a 5G network, we have a seamless transition from 4G to 5G. And I think we talk a lot about 4G and 5G, and there's a lot of marketing associated with that. But I think most consumers just want their services to work and to work effectively. And I think that's what we offer them. It's a broad coverage, great speed, and a network that they're, that, uh, that they're comfortable with at a great price. And that's what they have. But that's not good enough, right? That the bar keeps on getting higher, the consumption gets getting higher. Uh, you know, you look at data consumption and usage continue to grow. That's where the seamless transition of making sure that we transition as many of the bands from uh, from you know our three G and now four G over to five uh, G uh, technology is critical. And then the overlay of C band in critical areas to provide, to ensure that they have the, uh, the capability to do what they need to do where they want to do it, and then targetedly uh, deploy a millimeter wave in areas that has high traffic, high volume, high concentration. And so it's just not about going out there and saying, you know, 
here's a map, we're covering this map or that map, we have more of this and more of that. The quantity does not matter as much as what type of architecture and what type of solution you have at the right places. And I think that's what we are targeting. That's what we're trying to be responsible about is making sure that we deploy the services when people need it, where they need it. No, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Now, Jeff, I'm going to ask you a question. We, when we were in LA uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had the pleasure of meeting the mayor of LA, Eric um, Garcetti. He came by and he brought a load of students. It was a real honor to meet him. How are policymakers um, what's it like? A, a, what's it like to, to work with them on closing the digital divide? And B, uh, have you seen a change in their perspectives or uh, that, that has been, we talked about the necessity of, of adopting digital because of the pandemic, but how, how have the policymakers responded to the changes that, that we've discussed as far as adoption, et cetera? Yeah, I think policymakers has always recognized the importance of closing a digital divide. And obviously, what uh, the pandemic has has really uh, driven that even higher in terms of a sense of urgency. The, the, the great, the best thing from my perspective of engaging and having these discussions on the digital divide is that this is a this is not a Republican issue. This is not a Democratic issue. This is not a liberal issue. This is not a conservative issue. There is truly bipartisan support. I mean, this is this is an issue that I think we all understand that is critical for our society to have everybody participate in a digital environment. You know, we talked about learning. Uh, you know, uh, I think there's a lot of discussion about healthcare, equal access to healthcare, and there's also job opportunities as well too. Having broadband is critical to our ability to have a functional uh, economy. And, and I think all these, all the politicians understand that to be the case. And so, so I think that the good news there is that everybody is very interested in it. Everybody is truly looking for solutions to close the digital divide, right? The key there though, is that, you know, can we agree to what those solutions are? And, and I think what, from our perspective, what we're trying to, to, to tell folks is that, you know, the best solution is to leverage the expertise, the capability of, of private industry that has been doing this for decades and leveraging the support both financially and from a permitting perspective from the city and rules to allow us to effectively deploy uh, um, our network and architecture to, to allow more people to have access. Then once we have the access uh, uh, addressed, that's not it. We need to work together uh, both from a private perspective, a public perspective, and to some extent from a nonprofit perspective to work on driving greater adoption, right? And so uh, uh, we announced in AT&T a $2 billion initiative to close the digital divide. And part of that is really associated with uh, our adoption solutions. We're uh, rolling out connected learning centers that allows an area for people to come in and interact with digital solutions get familiar with digital solutions and understand the value of it and hopefully allow them to then start adopting the services uh, at their homes as well too. That's brilliant. Now, Jeff, I've got a very open question here and you may have an answer and you may not, but technology has come together to help us get through the pandemic, through COVID-19. Technology is helping bridge the digital divide, enhance education, Propel digital adoption. It's been 
the foundation of, of our society, basically, as we've gone through these turbulent times. Have AT&T given any thought, and I, I, I don't know, it's, it's very topical right now with what's going on in Glasgow and the COP26. If technology can come together to, def- to seemingly defeat these, other, these issues, can it potentially help with the climate change crisis, which is the existential issue of our time at the moment? Uh, I don't think the question is can it. I think it, it absolutely can. I think there is no doubt. I think uh, when you look at uh, human evolution, technology has always been the solution to whatever issue we face at, at a particular time. I think uh, the advancement of the Industrial Revolution created uh, uh, the situation that we're in. And I believe that the advances into the digital uh, revolution will take us uh, out of the situation that we're in now. And I think we're seeing that, right? I think we're seeing values uh, associated with how the digital economy is driving a reduced carbon footprint, right? For example, today, I did not drive into the office. I did not burn any fossil fuel to get into the office because I have the ability to do what I needed to do in the office from my home. So in this new environment where folks are able to work from anywhere, their carbon footprint will reduce because of digital technology, right? And we believe that we're also able to use uh, digital technology, 5G technology, to create a more efficient operating model, whether it is efficiency in manufacturing, whether it's efficiencies in learning, efficiency in healthcare, and these all these efficiencies has the ability to reduce carbon footprint, right? And so we believe that um, that there's tremendous set of opportunities and tools for us and applications to build to drive that. And so we are actually now partnering and we're creating an initiative to partner with other big, large corporations and, you know, and leverage these digital technology and build solutions to help them figure out ways to reduce their carbon footprint. And I think we've committed to a gigaton of reduction of carbon over the next decade. Wow. Wow. That's absolutely brilliant. Well, Jeff, we're almost out of time. Um, and I've really enjoyed our conversation today. But if we met again in 12 months' time, say we say we were back in LA at the next Mobile World Congress Los Angeles, or even in, in, in Barcelona, or the following Barcelona, but if we were to meet 12 months from now, give me... Um, Give me a, uh, a a projection, if you will. Give me a, a thought that if we discussed again in that time period, may or may not have come true. What where, where do you think we'll be in twelve months? Well, I think in twelve months, uh, as you know, uh, in the U.S., we just recently passed the bipartisan infrastructure bill, and what that uh, what that resulted in is sixty uh, five billion dollars of additional investment into broadband. Right. That is on top of billions of dollars that has been previously allocated for a variety of infrastructure, including broadband as as a way of utilizing that. So a year from now, my expectation is that a lot of these dollars will make its way through federal, state and local governments and will be in the process of implementing and driving those solutions. And so you will see a ramp up in deployment of both uh, fiber technology 
and wireless technologies. So the pace that I discussed in terms of closing the digital divide will only continue to increase and more and more people have access. And I think what we, and as more and more people have access, then I think we could focus on adoption and driving more of those people into the adoption side of the service and then also start building application and building capabilities. Because I think, you know, what we discussed you know, throughout this podcast is that, you know, the transition to digital that has been accelerated due to the pandemic is not something that's going to reverse. It is something that is going to actually accelerate as we, as we enable this capability to more and more people from both a fixed perspective and a wireless perspective. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. Well, then we'll 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 get together in twelve months and we'll take a look at that, Jeff. But that sounds like a really optimistic, well, really promising, positive outlook uh, for the future. And I, I really, I really appreciated your comments on climate change because you know when we 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 have small children, we talk about you know how digital is helping their education, but you know my my children are petrified by climate change and. Um, It's such a a, a massive topic right now. So, Jeff, thank you very much for joining The Great Indoors today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it as well, too. And look forward to talking to you in a year from now. So my next guest uh, this afternoon Day two of MWC LA on the great indoors is Mr. Roy Chua, who's a principal analyst at Avid Think. Roy, welcome to the great indoors. Thank you, Matthew. Really appreciate it. So what have you seen either at the event so far or at the previous events that you mentioned that has really stood out? Um, I, I would say that what, what's been interesting sort of post-pandemic is a recognition that, that telcos are in fact important, that the connectedness that, that we have is critical. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I think we learned during the pandemic is connectivity, you know, is, can be life-saving, right? It, it's, it's actually a matter of life and death in some such situations. And so mm-hmm. um, I've been quite impressed by the telcos worldwide that have been able to stay up and you know scale right despite all the challenges posed to them and it's it's, it's interesting you, you know you when you hear of uh, trends and events generally speaking very often they're regional right so historically it's like oh you know in america we see this uh in africa we see this and in india we say this and what i've been surprised maybe i shouldn't i shouldn't be but what i've been um taken by is when i talk to carriers all over the world there are common themes mm-hmm. right? and it's the move of the traffic from the, the city centers into the suburbs, into the yeah. rural areas. And, and whether it's India, whether it's Africa, whether it's North America, it's the same thing they're yeah. seeing. And yeah. that, that common trend, that common thread has been quite remarkable. Mm-hmm. And the importance of that last mile mm-hmm. connectivity, again, just to enable Zoom and WebEx and, you know, go to meeting and whatever it is that people use. I think that's, that's been, that's been important. That last mile connectivity yeah. has become critical. And no. in fact, so yeah. critical that I know of many people, myself included, that now have two paths. I mean, what do you, 
you can never imagine I have a backup link at home, right? You, you'd never yeah. say that. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's, you know, yeah. If an enterprise office, yeah, sure. I have my backup link. But yeah. how often would you say, yeah, I have, I have backup DSL or I have yeah. backup fixed wireless access to my home, to my home, right? Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's different. And yeah. Well, I think I did two points there that I think are really interesting. I think the first one is the exodus from the cities that we've seen over the last 18 months that, like you said, uh, has been prominent all over the world. I live in Toronto, but we've seen that, and we've seen just house prices outside of the city go through the roof that we never anticipated. But the second thing that you mentioned, Roy, and I think is interesting, is we identified a new segment because of those expectations from consumers, and that's the enterprise consumer. As a consumer now, you want the same level of quality, the same level of assurance, the same speed, the same resilience, the same security that an enterprise would right. expect. That's something that we did some primary, some Amdocs primary research, if you will, a survey on to, to uncover that. But that's, that, that's a reality, right? How do you think service providers, have they adapted their business models to address this new segment? I think some of them are. So I'm seeing the rollout across different carriers of packages targeted at the at that en enterprise consumer. I don't know what we call it, enterprise. I, we'll, we'll figure out the right term for mm -hmm. it. But 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 certainly it's targeted at a mix of the enterprise and the consumer, right? So it's like the, the prosumer except it's enterprise related. And it's interesting because the, the buyer or the buying channel is actually bifurcated. Because in some cases the employee or whomever it is, or a small business owner feels it's, it's critical that they be connected. And so they're purchasing directly. In some cases, the enterprises are trying to figure out how to reimburse or maybe create direct relationships with the carriers, mm -hmm. right, to, to get that done. Um, and I would say, and I, you know, some of the work we, we do with carriers and we've, you know, and, and we were working with them in the pandemic. And so we were saying, well, given this move, um, of, of traffic and given the critical importance of the home office now, uh, I was encouraging them to roll out services uh, for the employees, the enterprises would pay for, and then the consumers could, could you know, benefit as a result. And what I was impressed by recently is uh, there was a, a firewall vendor um, that rolled out a uh, SASE, right, secure access services, edge service, connectivity service, mm -hmm. um, that was purchased by the enterprise. However, as a result, if, you, if the enterprise purchases it, the consumer gets a free enterprise-grade firewall on a segmented network. So essentially, right. you know, you have an enterprise firewall in your house and it's managed, but you get a free home firewall, which I thought, that's great because it makes a lot of sense. Now, if you protect your employee's home, you protect your assets as well in that home simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So I was just pointing out to some of the other vendors that we work with, is that like, like look, you're doing it. It's, it's real. Right? Well, I, yeah. and just protecting their employees, but as a benefit to them as well, right? As part That's of correct. their compensation package, we will, we will provide these services for you in the home. That's correct. And it's, it's amazing. So now you get parental control, you get all these other things for free, right? And your employee's paying for it and the employee's benefiting, obviously, from a more secure home. And I think that's a smart thing. And I see carriers starting to do these bundles um, with, with voice, um, with security, yeah. with connectivity, with backup, right? So now yeah. it's, it's a trend. Before it used to be, you know, you had to be 
an important business to have your mobile backup, right? Yeah. And now I, I'd say I, at home, I have mobile backup. I have a primary uh, line, you know, over cable, a cable broadband, but I also have a backup fixed wireless and, and it's now being bundled. So if, it, you know, the carriers ship you a box, it has both built in. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's interesting because I think what that says is that all that connectivity that we took for granted in enterprise offices, now you've spread it to the home. Right? Yeah. And the question is, what can you do with that always on reliable, scalable connectivity? That's very interesting to us. Yeah, so. I think so. I think so. And you know, I, this is a personal, from my personal experience, I've been working for, until I've come to, I've been working from home for the last 18 months, like everybody has. Yep. I haven't even expensed my broadband or, or right. I mean, right. I work for Amdocs yep. and I, I've just used my own yep. consumer fiber broadband mm-hmm. that I've got. And that's it, right? Yep. Yes. So I think there's something definitely interesting in what you say there, Roy, about that piece. That's fascinating. Yeah, I think it's shifting. The other thing that I think came with that was a realization that with 5G, one of the, you know, that's never sort of a killer app, it's sort of, it is, is this fixed wireless access to the home, not, not to the offices per se, but to the home. And that's becoming, um, it, I, I think it's great. I, I have a $60 a month subscription for basically fixed wireless access to the home, unlimited. Mm-hmm. And you never have, you know, it, it, those of us who've served the, the wireless vendor, that's, you know, in, in the past, that was like, you know, that's, that's something you would never hear of, right? You would never allow that. Come on, right? Yeah, Engineering yeah. would say, no way. The consumer yeah. all would be in trouble. We can't give quality of service. Now they're open to it. And I think yeah. 5G and the technologies in there and the orchestration of the resources and services are a lot more dynamic than they yeah. used to be. Right. And, and I think that, that whole um, flexibility, that whole dynamic element in there to meet these needs, uh, I think increasingly important. Um, yeah. yeah. But I think as we move into 5G um, and, and, and what you speak about there, Roy, something that I picked up in Denver, picked up listening to Neville Ray from T-Mobile, yes. picked up listening to, uh, speaking with Sampath yesterday yes. from Verizon. Yep. It, and, and this is a, just an observation of mine. If we turn the clock back three years, mm-hmm. two years, three years, at events like this, we would be speculating, prophesizing, 5G is going to give us this, driverless cars, this, this, this. Now that 5G is, is rolling out throughout the United States, it's fair to say, uh, to your point, that the, the initial use case, the initial thing that T-Mobile, Verizon, AT&T is looking at, is fixed wireless access, which is probably the most rudimentary of all the use cases we've ever talked about when it comes to 5G. That's correct. It is. It is. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you told someone five, six, five years ago, 5G is good for fixed wireless access, they would look at you and say, no, come on, right? <laughs> What's Absolutely. the point? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What's the point? <laughs> but the reality is that, that the 5G spectrum and the 5G efficiencies from a power perspective, from a capacity perspective, from a scaling perspective, does change the economics for high uptake. And that's the key. It's the economic capability that 5G and the build-out is enabling that allows you to offer something compelling, right? Yes. So why pay $50, $60 for a DSL line that's like 50 down and 10 up when you can get unlimited fixed wireless, yeah. right? That's yeah. actually, I get 100 down and 30 up. Yeah, yeah. Why not, right? Yeah. So I think that's very important. I think it's pretty astute of the carriers to recognize that. Yeah. And then I'm starting to see them bundle security services with those things, right? Yeah. So now, not only do I get fixed wireless, I get secure fixed wireless. I yeah. get enterprise controls, hopefully combined with 
home control simultaneously. Yeah. Right. That's sort of bundled in and that helps everyone. So yeah. I think I, I'm seeing that move. I'm seeing that uptake. I, I think it's very interesting. And, you know, whether in, in, in North America, you know, whether it's T-Mobile or AT&T on Verizon, they're all aggressively rolling that out to good uptake, actually. And I think there's been another driving factor behind that as well. And we're staying in the 5G world, but I think one of the things in the last 18 months that a light has been shone on the digital divide, right? People have defined it differently that we've spoken to, but particularly in rural areas, right? So they don't, they haven't had good quality coverage um, over the years, but 5G, low band 5G can provide them that high capacity fixed wireless access but in a rural environment that's correct and so it does two things what we talked about with the fixed wireless and the homeworking and everything and secondly almost unwittingly or maybe not unwittingly maybe i'm unfair to say that it's helping bridge the digital divide as well it is and there's this i would say there's two elements to that and and 5g absolutely um, with fixed wireless access and the ability it's obviously much cheaper than fiber to lay in, in rural areas and seeing a lot of sort of new technologies coming out with, with even better reach. Um, you know, some of the unique things that, uh, like, like the Facebook Telegraph did some pretty exciting um, high bandwidth uh, testing as well. So I'm seeing some of these things show up as well. But fundamentally, yes, you're absolutely right. It, it, there is a more cost-effective way to cover the rural areas, and that, that helps everyone. The second thing that's concurrent with 5G, but not necessarily, not necessarily related, is private wireless and in North America, CBRS, you know, the rest of the world have different, you know, unlicensed or shared licensed or, yeah. or cheap to acquire enterprise licensed bands. And I'm seeing that used for school districts, right? I'm seeing that used on Native American reservations yes. as an alternative, right? So because it doesn't always make sense for carriers to put it in, but with the emergence of recognition of 5G technologies, recognition of shared, you know, shared spectrum or shared licenses um, and, and cheaper CBRS gear, Las Vegas and other cities are looking at it. And mm-hmm. school districts, you know, there are school districts in different places that are using private wireless and CBRS, putting antennas around a school and reaching the low-income, um, you know, students in their vicinity. And that's something you would not have heard of in the past. Basically, school districts becoming mobile wireless operators, right? Yeah, in yeah, essence. And that, that's crazy. That's, it is. And it it's, sounds it's crazy. amazing. It sounds yeah, crazy, but yeah. it's, it's along the lines of the fixed wireless, right? Yeah, yeah. Wireless penetrates well, depending, you know, on, on, on what band, but there's good penetration. It's easy to set up, easy to, you know, yeah. getting easier to maintain all the time. And, and it's got real world benefits, yeah. right? Social benefits on top of that. And here's something I've noticed, and we've, like all the guests we've spoken to have echoed this, but I'd really be interested in getting your thoughts on, on this, Roy. In the last 18 months, there feels like there is now an obligation for service providers to take care of the communities they serve, right? Mm-hmm. Now, of course, there's always been corporate social responsibilities uh, uh, over the years, and that's great, and, and, and people get involved in stuff. But I think that's been accentuated by the pandemic. They've, the service providers have been the savior and have kept technology or kept society rolling forward, right? They, they've yes. definitely had a rebrand. And, and I see some of the initiatives that Sampas talked about, about the digital divide, some of the things we see coming from T-Mobile, the Project 10 Million. Yep. Uh, Bell Let's Talk in Canada is a wonderful initiative to, to look at mental mm-hmm. health initiatives. 
Have you seen that from the service provider community, not just in North America, but around the world, them gravitating to embrace their inherent responsibilities for their communities? I, I have. And I think a lot of it, the, the catalyst was um, when we got hit by the pandemic, um, there was an immediate realization that, that education, you know, school from home, right, essentially, was critical. And suddenly school districts realized the divide. It was, I mean, everyone sort of knew about it. Like, you, you, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. But they didn't know, know about it. And now it's sort of like glaringly, you know, sort of glaringly obvious, right? You can't avoid it. Yeah. And what I was impressed by that the carriers recognized that they could play an immediate role. And, and you're right. So, uh, you know, working with various clients and, and, and T-Mobile, that, that one, um, I, I, I had a sort of front row seat seeing what was going on there. And it was, I, I would say it was very heartening yeah. to see how fast they reacted yeah. and how fast some of the vendors that they, con- that they contacted, like Cisco, for instance, you know, to put that security for instance, uh, you know, to their solution. They all jump in. And they're yeah. all willing to do it that yeah. quickly, right? And, yeah. and so flexible in terms of how they got it out there and Apple jumping in with iPads. I mean, you know, ev- everywhere, right? And so not just in North America, as you say, but, but worldwide, the carriers realized they could do something concrete relatively quickly that they knew how to do well. And, yeah. and that helped everyone. And, and I think that investment in, in social good, you know, pays off in the long run, for sure. It helps yeah. everyone, right? It lifts everyone. So yes, absolutely. But I think you said the right word there, Roy. It's heartening. Right. In this cutthroat business world we live in, it's heartening to see these massive service providers stepping in in such a, 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 an altruistic way yes. to take care of their communities. Yep. And we've had people on, on the podcast this week that have, have got very emotional talking yep. about this. Yes. And it does give you some faith in humanity, right? It does. It does. And, and, and a it rebrand does. in technology. It does. I, th- I think, you know, the, the pandemic... A lot of times, you know, we have crisis and it brings out the worst in people, the best in people. I would say on the whole, but maybe, you know, maybe I'm <laughs> yeah. Pollyannish but here, but, 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 uh, but I would say that in general for the telco industry, that I think the pandemic brought out the best across the telco industry. No, um, I agree. Yeah. I totally agree. Yep. Now looking forward with 5G right now and one of the things I think is interesting, this race to 5G in the US, and they call it the race to 5G. You see T-Mobile, mm-hmm. where they acquired Sprint, they got their hands on all that treasure trove of mid-band, the C-band yes. auction happened, so Verizon felt that they were now competing at a more level playing field. The race is on. We know T-Mobile, they're in the lead, but the race is on. There's a lot of noise. This is a fascinating business race, right? What, what are your thoughts on that so far? Yeah, I, I, you know, so I think... Um, on, on one hand, I would say the, 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 the race to get to 5G everywhere it isn't the real goal, right? It may be a marketing goal, but yes. it has no sort of clear business benefits. But what has, I think, clear benefits is the modernization of the wireless networks. What goes hand in hand with 5G, the, you know, the cloud-like nature of 5G, the flexibility the more efficient use of spectrum, the, the better power management that comes of it, and the ability to add programmability to the network to enable more innovation. I think that fundamentally is what's more important what's more than important. getting that 5G icon of 5G UC or 5G plus or 5G UW yeah. you know, on your phone. I think fundamentally to me, the underlying aspects of it is much more important. Yeah. All Listen, right, Roy, thank you. thank you for joining The Great Indoors. I've really Very enjoyed welcome. our conversation. Likewise. Had a great time. Thank you for making time. Thank you. 
So, I'd like to welcome our next guest to the great indoors today. His name is Sandeep Panasa. He's the EVP of Strategic uh, Engagement at uh, Turnium. Um, Sandeep, welcome. Thank you. Um, and just to add to that, I also serve as the vice chair for the marketing advisory committee for the Linux Foundation Networking. Wow, that's great. So we'll get into that as well. That's, Excellent. That sounds cool. So tell us a little bit about Turnium, uh, Sandeep, and, and what you guys do. Sure. So Turnium is a, an SD-WAN company. We provide uh, layer three connectivity, pure layer three. So we're not selling different parts of the network stack. We're really just focused on layer three, and that's what makes us really good. And uh, that's what makes us, um, I, I, to be quite honest, I want to say amazing, but I, what makes us effective and mm -hmm. efficient. You know, our corporate moniker is connect everything anywhere. That's kind of our vision or vision statement, if you will. So by connect, it's really being that network component or being the network. Everything is what matters to you and anywhere is where that exists. So mm -hmm. whether you're a corporation, whether it's a branch office, whether it's IoT, whether you're a bank, whether you are... Uh, uh, you know, a telecommunications company, a carrier, telco, that kind of thing. And so connect everything anywhere boils down to four basic things. We build new virtual networks. We extend existing networks. So if you have an MPLS or VPLS network, we can help you extend it to remote areas where it's not cost effective to put in, say, a hard connection for a traffic light system or a, a parks and rec uh, monitoring station. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, um, connecting clouds, we right now out of the box... We connect diverse clouds, so you can connect from AWS to GCP to, uh, I don't know, uh, IBM Cloud and uh, Azure, all at the same time using our platform and our software. Mm -hmm. And then extending, uh, sorry, enablement is uh, really about enabling the customers to be able to do more, meaning that if you are delivering a service or delivering a, a, a product, we can help you make that in, turn that into an as-a-service product. So cloud-based, telephony, um, you know, anything MSPs might be doing for mm -hmm. support, management, that kind of thing. Right. So that's really what Turnium is. That's what we are at our core. Yeah. And it's software-defined. Yeah. It's cloud-native. It's the first CNF-certified um, uh, SD-WAN on Red Hat OpenShift. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have deep partnerships with Red Hat, IBM, and Intel. And, um, yeah. Companies like Liner. So I think one of the things that's definitely clear and evident coming out of this week and from the last 18 months is collaboration, partnership has never been more vital to the industry, but it's also more, what's the word? I think more organizations have accepted this and are open about it and are happy with it than ever before as well. We had this discussion this morning when we were talking about the 5G Open Innovation Lab. So if you want to go a little bit further about what you've done this week with Red Hat and IBM and what you've been doing on their booths and, and how that um, collaboration has been uh, mutually beneficial for, for everybody. Sure, absolutely. And, and you're 100% right. Like uh, the collaboration I've seen at this event, at least from our perspective and the way we have collaborated with our partners, has been phenomenal. I think uh, the best way to describe it is, you know, we were invited to do two or three, two presentations with the, with, at the Red Hat booth. I did those myself. And then we were invited to do a third one. I mean, that, that's a lovely feeling. And we've, we've been working with Red Hat for many years. And so the collaboration there has always been quite open. And they're 
based on open source. That's, that's where yeah. Red Hat comes from. And that's kind of in their roots. So I think they're ingrained to think about community. And then with IBM, uh, it was really, really neat because we have a, a very deep partnership with IBM as well, too. And so we did an, um, an automated deployment of network functions down to um, you know, a universal CPE at a branch site. And that included Red Hat OpenShift. So it, it was all part of the same puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, in the Lanner booth, when we worked with Lanner, we just announced an embedded um, version of their 1515 box where we are embedded in there, which allows for diverse path LTE failover, meaning if you're, you know, pick two LTE providers, you can fail from one to the other. Right. And then that's needed in remote areas and things like that. And yeah. it's, a, it's a lower cost box, et cetera. So that was really interesting. And then, you know, when we talk about collaboration, I go back to Linux Foundation networking, our, our new, uh, I, we've boiled everything down to what our vision is in terms of Linux Foundation networking. And the three things that really stand out are transform, collaborate, and innovate. Yeah, yeah. It's all about community, but that collaboration is right yeah, there. Yeah. And so it, it exudes everywhere at yeah, the show. It's, it's, it's really bleeding out of everything that you can see. And the atmosphere is very different yeah. um, from what you would normally see at a show where you know, people are stuck in their booths and they're not wanting to talk to you. Everybody's coming out. They're saying, Hey, what are you doing? Come over here. Let's talk. Right. And even if you don't yeah. like our product, let's just talk. Yeah. yeah. And we, we, we haven't seen humans in so long. Let's, let's speak. It's true. I mean, after 18 months, people want to talk. They want to share their stories. Uh, even just doing this podcast face to face has been eye opening and, and, and so uh, uplifting. Uh, but I, I echo that exactly. People have got smiles on their faces, right? In previous shows, people may be a bit stressed out. They've got full agendas, but they're more accessible. They've got smiles. They want to talk. They want to collaborate. And I, I think that's a real positive from this week. So, Sandy, what have you seen? Uh, how has what you do changed, A, from the, first, from the last time you were at a show, and uh, probably over 18 months ago, and B, because of the pandemic, and the, 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 the changes we've seen in digitalization and technological adoption in the last 18 months, how have things changed for you as an organization? Well, for us as an organization, I don't, like, we were very fortunate that our business, um, it's to provide network and it's to make network better. And of course, when everyone's working from home, you need that secure network connectivity. You yeah. need to be able to deliver service to those homes. And we help make all of that better, get everything to the corporate networks. So that was, that didn't change. But I think what changed for us as an organization is that we found different ways to innovate. And this is, this is very, very key because over that period of time, when everyone's working from home, we're like, okay, well, we are going to come out of this. It will end at some point. It may not have felt like it at the beginning, but it will end. Mm -hmm. And so when it does end, who do we want to be when we come out? And we're looking at things like now about how to make things smarter. You know, we don't want to see businesses shut down. We don't want to see cities shutting down. We don't want to see people hold up in their apartments or their houses or homes. What we want to do is for people to get out. So let's make things smart. Yeah. So we start, we've, been, we've started thinking about and we've got approaches now for smart cities. We've got approaches for smart agro. I'll give you an example for smart cities. Uh, you know, one of the things that would be really interesting to see is um, traffic lights. Yeah. So traffic lights are on a start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. They're all timed. Yeah. But what if there was a way to deliver something 
to every single traffic light. And I don't even know how many um, how many street corners there are in downtown LA, but let's say 10,000, 10, right? Yeah. yeah. All right. And for each of those locations, you're going to be able to have a visual analytics system right there, which would pull data back through a secured connection. Let's say we would provide as Turnim. Uh, that's our business model. And then be able to take that workload in a container, which is, you know, again, containerization, all Red Hat OpenShift, um, and then be able to do the visual analytics. And then instead of switching lights every 10 seconds or every 60 seconds, whatever the case may be, instead go, oh, there's a pedestrian there. They're standing there and they're waiting. There are no cars. I'm going to switch the lights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? That's- Make those AI-optimized uh, um, decisions just like you could do with an IBM AI, uh, Watson yeah. AI Ops. Right. And so that's, that's, that's the kind of start started thinking about how can we make life better? We lived a certain way. We're not going back to that. So moving forward, we have a chance to actually uh, design how we want to live. Mm-hmm. We can be more efficient. We can be less wasteful, yeah. not just say it right. Yeah, yeah. As we were before, cause everybody was saying it, no one was doing anything. Now we can actually take action and move things forward and change the way we live. And I think that's very powerful. You know, and, and that's brilliant, Sandeep. And, and again, it, it, it's something I've seen at this event and spoken to people about all week. There's a, a desire and incentive now to develop technologies and to deploy these technologies that make life better for society rather than a, a, a capitalist uh, or, or corporate-driven profits business. Of course, we still need to be paid and we still need the money, but there's a real desire, uh, an almost altruistic desire amongst everyone to make life better uh, after the pandemic. Do you share that? Do you think there's been that, that, that extra drive to do that? I don't know if there's an extra drive to do that, but certainly 18 months of sitting at home, everyone has had a long time to think. It's almost like someone said, go to your room and think about what you've done. <laughs> and then you come out and you're like, okay, mom, <laughs> this is what I did wrong. This is how I'm going to change it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's almost that, like that kind of freeing yeah. feeling. It's like, it's like a soul lifting out of your body going, okay, I get it. Yeah. But we, we, we got too complacent. We got too, um, we took everything for granted and we just thought everything was benign. But in actuality, now I look around and I see magic everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I tell myself every single morning, I have a, a tiny little affirmation that I do. And I always tell myself everywhere I go, I will bring peace. And everywhere I am, I will recognize the magic. Yeah. And that's what I'm seeing around. Like it's magical to have people outside looking in at us. It's magical to be able to get on a plane. Mm-hmm. And yet there's so many things that you can do to bring peace to someone's soul. Yeah. So, so for instance, you know, I, I was, Walking yesterday, there was a guy playing music and it was really nice. And pre-pandemic, I probably never would have given him a dollar, let alone the $2 that I gave him yesterday. Yeah. Right. But it was something that I wanted to do because I felt it was necessary. And I think this concept of giving back is really important. Yeah. And and, and what we're doing now uh, from a technology standpoint, what I'm recognizing is, yeah, apart from being a, a corporation that's trying to grind and make money, which again, as you, as you pointed out, we all need to, we all need to live. I think the ability to give back and to be part of society, not something that feeds it, but actually be something that's part of it is quite incredible. And I think 
for me, that's what's happened over the last 18 months. I've had a lot of time to sit in my room and think of what I've done wrong and come out and say, well, I'm not going to live like that anymore. This is how I'm going to live. That's an incredible, that's, I I couldn't agree more. It's such an incredible uh, summation. I think, and I think everybody is going through that thought process this week. I don't think we'll ever, we'll ever take things for granted again. And who are your customers? Who do you sell your products to? Is it the service providers or? or? So we sell to uh, carriers, uh, internet service providers. We have an OEM model uh, where it's fully owned uh, by the customer. So yeah. say your service provider X, uh, you know, we will stand up a management server and uh, aggregators, and then you will sell it out to your edges uh, with our SD-WAN product. Uh, and you can do it that way. And that that's, that's what they do. I think one of the area, and then um, we also deal with cloud service providers and managed service providers as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, if for an as a service product, yeah. also which we also uh, deliver. I think one of the some of the areas where we're going now is we've got cloud extension, which we're doing in partnership with IBM, which allows service providers to extend their network worldwide and not have to rely on other service providers' uh, IP addresses and things like that. Um, and the smart cities, the smart agro, uh, as I talked about earlier. Yeah. And uh, one of the other things I think that uh, we're starting to folk dial in on, I should say, and this is um, partially with our, our partner, Lanner, is how can we access that Roho market? So that remote office, home office, and this I, where it goes back to my giving back, I guess, if it's sort of sense, it sounds a little bit odd, but um, if there's a way that we can actually make it so people can actually work from home. Yeah efficiently and it helps the corporations at the same time be efficient and potentially save money and makes the quality of life for the people working for those companies better, then let's figure out a way to do that. And so that's what we've been working on. We've been working on having a remote device that can go out to um, remote workers that are Mm -hmm. at home that will have our software on it, some version of um, Red Hat Enterprise Linux for Edge uh, and it would be a dual-purpose box, or just it was a single-purpose box. It would yeah. just be our SD-WAN and our product on there. Yeah. And I think that's a sense of giving back. Yeah. Uh, I, the the other thing that I've learned over the last eighteen months is my involvement with Linux Foundation has really been quite uh, profound for me. Yeah. Because that transform, collaborate, innovate, that sense of community, uh, what it brings, uh, the membership, you know, how it drives corporations to be part of that community. You know, we just got Walmart to uh, sign up and be on board. Right. Um, the 5G Super Blueprint is an amazing project that's been put together as well, too, which was born out of KubeCon in 2019 in San Diego, which was the last show I went to. Right. And that project um, has now become something also quite profound because the collaboration, the number of companies that are involved, the number of pieces that go into yeah. making that happen, once it's complete, I, I don't know that ever be complete. It's almost like a living blueprint, if you will, as, as technology changes. But um, as we put that together, it, it really becomes um, a beautiful thing, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. everyone has contributed to it. All the corporations have contributed to it. To it. The talent has contributed to it. Um, and, and we're, of course, Turnium is part of it as well, too. It's not just me. Turnium yeah. is, is, is a member of the Linux Foundation. And, you know, we provide that networking core for the Super G5, uh, mm. 5G Super Blueprint. Yeah. Now, Sandeep, I really enjoyed our conversation, and I, 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 
I'm 100% with you on a number of these things. And I'd like to invite you to be a guest on The Great Indoors again. I would love to season. come back. Absolutely. And so here we're going to do a little challenge. So the next time we, we sit down and record, yep. what will be your projection now? Say we do it in six months' time. Sure. Give me a, proje- a, a projection now or, 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 or something that you think is going to happen in the next six months, and we'll, we'll speak about that again in, when we meet. What do you think is the next big thing ahead of us right now? In terms of technology or in terms of life? Both. Either or. You choose. I'll, I'll give you both. So I'm hoping or expecting that uh, Mobile World Congress Barcelona will actually happen this year. Okay. I think that's a good bet. Right? Yeah. And I think it's a good bet. Um, so that's the first one. Uh, from a technological standpoint, I think we're going to s- see a lot of things that people were keeping in the closet that they were innovating on over the last 18 months to start to spit out. That's good. I think they'll come out six months from now. Yeah, that's a, probably a good bet. Um, I mean, even stuff that we're working on, trust me, in six months, it'll, it'll, it'll be, a- be a completely different company. Yeah. Um, and then if you look at uh, from a, a human factor, I think we're going to... F- Find and see a less judgmental lifestyle, uh, uh, a more accepting uh, uh, of, of people around. And um, I think we're going to see, because of that general love that's going to come out from the people in this world, I think what we're also going to see is massive political chaos everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone is pro- pro- projecting food shortages and we're already seeing the gas shortages and things like that. And you've got, you know, the large uh, food corporations saying they're going to be hiking prices because of this, that, and you can't get deliveries and things like that. Uh, these are, these are man-made problems. These are problems that we make ourselves and they're easily resolvable. Yeah. If we are nice and kind to each other, we can resolve them. Yeah. I and, agree. and you know, that's my mission in life. That's what I'm trying to do. That's what Turnium is trying to do is to be good to its customers. It's Linux Foundation is trying to be, um, they encourage community, you know, that, that sense of collaboration that we talked about earlier. I mean, it really comes down to that. It's collaborate with each other, accept each other and move forward. So those are my predictions for the next six months. I love it. I love it. Brilliant. I've really enjoyed the conversation, uh, Sandeep. Thank you very much for joining The Great Indoors today. My pleasure. Thank you. What a great end to the year, addressing some of the most important issues we see ahead of us. And what does 22 have in store for us? I don't know, but stay tuned to find out. And you know what? We've thoroughly enjoyed all the episodes over the past 12 months. So I want to say a big thank you to all our guests that have taken the time to participate. You are now lifelong alumni of this podcast. And that's quite a decoration, if I don't mind saying so myself. So keep an eye on social media for more of that. Uh, It's going to be quite interesting. Now, please subscribe to our podcast and all the usual podcast channels. Leave a review or rating if you feel so inclined. It certainly helps us. And check out two other Amdocs podcasts that are brilliant and available now. The Future of Tech with Abishai Sharlin and Points of View with our Chief Marketing Officer, Gil Rosen. Also visit our website amdocs.com forward the slash the great indoors where we have all three seasons for you to listen to. We have videos and insights from many of our guests. Now we'll be back in 2022 for another season of the great indoors. So stay tuned. 
I'm Matt Roberts for Amdocs in Toronto. Have a great day wherever you are.